In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. You want to know about a really terrible experience that I've gone through? I heard somebody say yes. That's mean. Okay. It's an ongoing experience. This is not a one-time thing. Marriage counseling. Why is that? It's not because of the people that I counsel. They're usually wonderful people, but they're not usually wonderful to each other, and that's kind of the problem. In marriage counseling, more, most often, almost always, though not always, almost always, I'll go in and I'll speak to the husband and the wife, always together, and I'll say to one, let's say the wife, what would you like to speak about? What, what issues do you see? What are your concerns? And she'll say, well, my husband does X, Y, and Z. And I say, okay, fine. And then I go to the husband and I say, okay, how about you? Your turn. What do you think the issues are? And he says, well, my wife does X, Y, and Z. And then I say, okay, to the wife, what can you do to make the relationship stronger? What can you, what can you do to reconcile this thing. And she says, I can have my husband do X, Y, and Z, and then the relationship will get strong. And then I'll ask the husband, and he says, well, if my wife did this, this, and that thing, then the relationship would be better. And I say, no, you're not getting it. You are not getting it. This is not gonna work. Because until one, at least, one person decides that they're gonna be the one to say, I'm gonna take it upon myself, and I'm going to bite the bullet, I'm going to take the L, the loss, and I'm going to be okay with being treated unfairly and unjustly, and I'm just going to eat it until I win this person over. Until at least one person, ideally both, but until at least one person is able to empty themselves for the sake of the other, it's just never going to work. This is true in marriage. This is true in any relationship between parents and children, between siblings, friends, cousins, whatever. It's, all relationships are like this. This is the nature of love. That's why. Love, which is the foundation of any kind of relationship. Love is self-emptying. Love is self-giving. Love is a gift of self over to the other. But you, you're not going to give yourself over to the other if you're only trying to receive from the other for your own benefit. And this is... 99% of the problems in all relationships, specifically marriage. Until at least one person decides to be a Christian in the relationship, it's not going to work. And why do I say being a Christian in the relationship? Jesus in the gospel reading tells us something striking to our ears, striking to modern ears. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's a presumption here. There are people that call Jesus their Lord and yet will not go to heaven, yet will be sent to hell. Yet Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. There are people that have faith, in other words, and yet will not make it through the pearly gates. Not just that, it's a lot more striking than that. Because he goes on to say, on that day, many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works, miracles in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. People that have not just faith, but faith enough that they're prophesying, that they're casting out demons, that they're performing miracles, and yet Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. Depart from me, you evildoer. That is really striking. I've never prophesied in my life. I've never cast out demons. I think I've probably met some, but I've never cast them out. I've never, to my knowledge, performed any miracles, done any of these mighty works that uh, these people are going to claim for themselves when they meet Jesus. How then do we enter the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How do we enter the kingdom of God? It's not by doing these fancy spiritual activities. It's not by levitating. It's not by living up in the clouds of spirituality. Christian spirituality is very concrete. Christian spirituality is very rooted. It is very tangible, palpable. Christian spirituality is Jesus on the cross. The will of God, accomplishing, fulfilling the will of God, this is the way we go to heaven. That sounds like it's very abstract, but it's not. You and I have opportunities every day, in fact, at every single moment, to do the will of God. Because the will of God is self-emptying, self-giving love that Jesus did for us on the cross. I'll give you an example, and there are many in the New Testament, but I'll give you an example, one of them, which to me is probably one of the most pronounced ones. Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying right before he's going to be betrayed, arrested, and then he's gonna begin his passion up to his crucifixion, Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane prays to God and he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is such a beautiful, I mean, it's hard to bear when we meditate on Jesus' suffering, but it is a beautiful moment. And one that has set the standard and the example for all Christians everywhere. I don't want to go through this right now, Lord. But if you want me to go through it, so be it. Let it be done. The will of the Father is to drink the cup. The will of the Father is the passion. The will of God is to walk the way of Calvary with Jesus even up to the crucifixion. And what did Jesus do in the crucifixion? So that we know also what we're supposed to do. On the cross, the cross is a, an ugly, violent act of execution. One that Romans at the time used to write. You can read this in history books from Romans, Roman historians at the, at the time. They'd say Roman citizens were not even allowed to look at, at people that were crucified because it was so grotesque. Roman citizens would not, were not allowed to be crucified even. What did Jesus do on the cross? This really 
violent act. What was it? He accepted it unfairly upon himself out of obedience to God the Father for the love of him and for the love of you and me to save your soul and to save my soul. And the way St. Paul characterizes this in the epistle reading that we read today, St. Paul says, yeah, maybe a few people will die, will give their life up to people, to good people, to their friends. And that's a few people will even go that far. But nobody dies for their enemies. And that's what Jesus Christ did. No one dies for the person that's trying to kill them. That's what Jesus did. Jesus died for us, he says, while we were his enemies. That's the will of the Father, that you and I have an opportunity to accomplish at every single moment. That, it is accomplishing that, that we will enter the kingdom of God, not prophesying, casting out demons, doing, performing miracles, or levitation, or some grandiose spiritual power, something like that, that we usually associate with saints. The saint is somebody that loves, even in little unnoticeable things. Brothers and sisters, when someone treats you unfairly, when someone does something wrong to you, when your husband or your wife or your kid or your whoever, when somebody does something wrong to you, in that moment, God calls you to the cross to say, I did it for you, now do it for me. I did it for you so that I can change you, I can win you over by this act of love. I have turned this violent act of execution, of crucifixion, I have transformed it into an act of love and an act of salvation. Through it, Christ has saved us by accepting it in love of God and love of you and me. And that act of accepting it, that act of taking it upon ourselves has bounced it right back to us. That act of love has been given to us and it has won us over. And so likewise, a husband or a wife who's being treated unfairly, unjustly, just badly by their spouse or a sibling or a friend or a cousin or a family member, whatever it is, anybody being treated really, really poorly by another can win that other person over by insisting on loving them in return. And that is the will of the Father. That's why Jesus says, this gospel reading comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says a few things that are pertinent for every one of us. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even pagans do the same. If you do good to those who do good to you, what Credit is that to you, even pagans do the same. That's obvious. It, it, there's no, nothing to brag about when we love people in return when they love us. Everybody does that. That's a natural human instinctual thing to do. Even animals do the same. It's no credit, no, nothing, nothing special about doing good for somebody that does good for us. Everybody, it's a natural thing. That's just kind of baseline. But Jesus goes on to say, love your enemies. You must love your enemies. Because he, did, he loved us while we were his enemies. You do good to those who harm you because he did good for us who crucified him. And that's why he says, 
You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. It is because you, the members of the body of Christ, you are members of Christ through your baptism. You continue the mission of mercy and of love in the world. You continue Jesus's mission in this world. You are the face of Christ in a dark world. But the face of Christ is always the face of mercy, of love, of overwhelming love, love that goes so far beyond that it actually saves. That's what you and I are called to. Amen.